Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. We all have our quirks and kinks that get us excited in the bedroom, but what about those things we love? From foot fixations to armpit looking to just loving a good spanking, literally anything can be a fetish. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast, and today we are talking about fetishes. Joining me in the room today is Cosmopolitan.com's sex and relationship editor, Haley McMillan. Hi, Haley. Hi, Elisa. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. This is the first time we've done a podcast together. That's right. I'm so excited. Yeah. I love this podcast. Welcome. It's good to be Welcome. It's obviously your favorite, of course, yeah, of course. Well, number one. Number one. Yes. And also in the studio with us today is Jillian Keenan, the author of the book Sex with Shakespeare. Here's much to do with pain, but more with love. And she recently wrote a piece for the New York Times called Finding the Courage to Reveal a Fetish. Hi, Jillian. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming in. Guys, I feel like there's like really good girl energy in the room. <laughs> I'm just going to like come right out and say I feel that. Like we have a lot to talk yeah, about today. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this is like a like a the best ever kind of like podcast book club like I wish we actually had some we need some cocktails that's exactly that what missing. I was thinking yeah I know I, I know. mean it's called happy hour I right know. that's actually like this has come up before that people come in and they're like oh I thought we would actually be drinking and I'm always like you're right, <laughs> right. why aren't like, we drinking where are the cosmos exactly where are the cosmos yeah. where are the cosmos so Haley let's start with you you recently wrote a piece called here's what it's like to have sex with someone with a foot fetish what did you take away from writing that piece well I had read on uh, a piece we had done a while ago about what it's like to have a foot fetish, but I was really interested to talk with people whose partners had fetishes and how they experienced them and if they found them, uh, you know, to be a positive experience, what was that like for them? And amazingly, so all three of the women I spoke with were really, really down with yeah. this, and it became a really fun part of their shared sex lives with their partners. And they didn't necessarily have a foot fetish, but they loved that they could get their partners off in this way. So it was really fun to hear about that, and then also hear about the kind of stigma that they knew that their partner experienced, and how bad they felt about it, and how they just didn't get it, because their partners were loving and awesome, um, and they didn't understand why they had to go through this uh, this shame over their desires. And I think shame and stigma is, like in some ways, an important place to start the conversation because of course we all have different sexual preferences different things we like in bed but it's something about the word that as soon as you call something a fetish or as soon as something that is a, is a little outside in the mainstream that I think there can be a lot of stigma associated with that Jillian do you want to talk about that a little bit there's absolutely a lot of stigma associated with fetishism and non-normative sexual identities um, it, Fetishism is not recognized as a sexual orientation, so it's not protected by, for example, uh, employment discrimination laws. It's legal to fire someone uh, for having a fetish, and in many cases this has happened. So stigma is still a real problem. People have lost jobs, people have lost child custody battles, um, and people have lost friends. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah, and why is there such misunderstanding around it? 
I mean, in some ways, I think it's part of the misunderstanding. I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that, but I think part of the misunderstanding is just sex in general. It's like we're finally just still getting to the place in 2017, 2016, 2017, where like even talking about sex at all can still make people squeamish. Well, and I think it's important to underline that fetishism is not necessarily associated with sex. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily something that happens in conjunction with sex or as a prelude to sex. Sex can be totally irrelevant to fetishism. It's possible to be a fetishist and asexual at the same time, and many people are. And I think it's the same thing with BDSM, too. You know, there's a whole set of practices that people automatically think are about sex, but not necessarily. And I think to answer your question, from a media perspective, a lot of the times that we hear about people with fetishes, it's really negative. It's like, oh, this creep was like, videotaping some women's feet the stories you don't hear are this really loving couple has an awesome sex life that includes feet right that's what you don't hear about you hear about the you know the people who are maybe committing sex crimes that seem weird because they involve a fetish but that's not what a typical fetish looks like and not representative no for sure and I think that's Haley from a really sort of accessible because I think foot fetishes are something you tend to hear about Mm -hmm. a little more Mm -hmm. and I think your piece was great in terms of finding these women that were like I love this this was so great Um, so Jillian for people who haven't read it talk to us a little bit about your piece and what has been the response to it coming out in the Times so I added myself as a spanking fetishist um, in the New York Times several years ago. Um, I identify my fetish as my lifelong, innate, and unchosen sexual orientation. It was there even when I was a very small child. Um, and something that I found very interesting is that when um, I talk to people on the left, for example, people who would say without thinking twice, of course it's possible for a child to be uh, gay or lesbian or straight by the time they're age five or age 10. They, they accept without question that other forms of sexual orientation are innate and present in childhood. Mm-hmm. But when I say I was a fetishist, easily by the time I was five. I have memories that I I didn't understand at the time. They were frightening and confusing. But when I look back, I think, yep, I was obsessed with spanking, even as a very small child. Um, when When I see this to people, even people who consider themselves very progressive, they balk. They think, how can that be? How can a, how can a, how could you have a, sexual fixation on spanking when you were even a toddler? Um, but I did. Um, I think that that is, um, a really, interesting or a really interesting what's the word observation on it because I think there is a way again with the way that it's kind of depicted in the media which is often negatively that it's like there has to be a reason like there's a reason you have a certain fetish or there you know versus exactly is the way you perfectly explained it being something that is innate and it's just kind of the way that you were born right it's terrifying these explanations are terrifying because it's not like uh children with emerging sexual identities that include fetishism aren't aware of the explanations that are thrown around. We're aware of the Diagnostic and Statistical uh, Manual of Mental Disorders, which um, continues to stigmatize fetishism and other forms of BDSM. We're aware of these explanations about childhood trauma or about daddy issues. Um, And it, it sends us the message that there's something broken about us, that there's something to be ashamed of. I think we, and Haley, you see this, and I'm sure with the piece that you just did, like we have such a, we know when we write these articles on cosmopolitan.com how popular they are. Where does that, you know, where does that sort of fit into this conversation as being this thing that is maybe sort of stigmatized, but people are obviously very curious about and I think are really looking for valid information about? Absolutely. I think if I had to summarize the 
questions I get the most as a writer, they would come down to two things. They would come down to, am I weird and am I alone? And people are so Mm. desperate, so hungry to know that they're not an aberration and that there are other people out there like them. And so I think when it comes to fetishes, it's really important to remember, yeah, you know, not everyone has what you have, but there are other people out there and, you know, you're not fucked up just because you have this one um, preference. And so I think it's so important to tell stories that aren't just, wow, yeah, that creep with the video camera, but, you know, this is a really healthy, awesome part of my sex life. And um, yes, fetishes can cause distress, but they don't by definition. And I think, Jillian, you put it really well one time when you said that, you know, your, your your fetish had become such a source of joy for you and you celebrated it and it was a great part of your life. And that's the story that I think we're not telling or hearing about fetishes. Um, that's a really good point. Jillian, how um, has your fetish affected your dating life? It's been rough, really rough, um, because I didn't... I wasn't able to say the word spanking out loud until as recently as, as a few years ago. It was too much. It was too intense. Saying the word spanking out loud felt like, I don't know, pulling down my pants on the subway and showing yeah. strangers yeah. the most intimate part of me. I thought if I even said the word spanking, other people would see it on my face. They would know that I was way too interested in this subject. Um, so for a long time, I, I couldn't tell the man who is now my husband that I think about spanking all day, every day, and have done for my entire yeah. life. Um, so when I finally outed myself to him, um, it was an intense way to out myself to him. I outed myself to him by outing myself to the New York Times. Um, That's dramatic. It was dramatic. Yeah. You went all out. Yeah, I went all out. Yeah. Um, and it's... I think that when I first outed myself to him, I thought it would be much simpler than it was. Hmm. I thought I could just say, I'm obsessed with spanking. We need to talk about this. This has been a huge part of my life. Spanking isn't part of sex for me. It occupies the place in my life that sex occupies in most people's lives. My whole life, I never fantasized about sex. I only fantasized about spankings. And I thought that would kind of be it. And he'd say, okay, and we'd talk about it and it would be fine. But outing myself was only the uh, beginning of a process that lasted for years and continues to this day. It's ongoing. How do you how do you find support for that? Hmm. It's a great question. I'm really glad that you asked. Uh, one of the best things I've done in my life was make friends uh, with other people in the spanking fetish community. Um, and start going to parties. There are local parties. There are national parties. Um, we really do just all get together in a hotel room somewhere and uh, spank each other for you know four or five days. Um, and sometimes my friends ask like, "Oh, so these are these are big sex parties?" No, there's no sex. It really is just spanking right. um, because that's what we're obsessed with. But these friendships have been an extraordinary source of support and community. I mean, Haley, you nailed it when you said the question is, "Am I alone?" Um, and these various fetish communities are conclusive proof that none of us are alone. There's um, this has come up before on the podcast, and you know, one thing I'm always thinking about is like we have the luxury of living in New York City, where people are really open. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of people here in general, and like there are a lot of these sex parties and stuff like that that go on. Um, but I'm always thinking about like our reader, like me, who grew up in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, whatever, and. You know, I think on one hand, the internet gives anyone anywhere sort of a way to befriend other people and talk to other people. Um, Jillian, is there any, um, you know, is there any like 
I don't want to say like warning because that sounds so scare tactic-y in a way that I don't mean, but like, is there a way to sort of find, are there any pointers I guess you would give about finding your people online? Because I'm assuming if you like Google spanking fetish, Hmm. like there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up that isn't necessarily going to be what you need. Like, how do you find, how do you find the good people? Sure. A good place to start is we have to give a shout out to FetLife.com, which is essentially Facebook for fetishists. Um, There are some security concerns with FetLife. Um, There have been controversies in the past with willingness to name and shame abusers in the community or not. Um, There's plenty of articles that have been written about that. But I think that when entering FetLife, sort of the same safety rules apply that apply to any kind of online dating. Um, Meet someone in a public place, tell a friend who you're meeting with, don't rush to play, don't ever let yourself be pressured into something you don't want to do, sort of things that any woman or man who is meeting people online uh, already knows. Um, And then I could list a million other Mm -hmm. spanking-specific websites, but since this is about fetishes in general, um, you know, FetLife is a great place to start, and from there you can meet other people. Um, And I'm happy to say that there's a lot of fetish parties in places like New York City and Los Angeles and Las Vegas, but some of the biggest fetish parties are in Ohio. Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I would say, too, and this is a tip I got from my friend Effie Blue, who's a sex educator. She said what you can do is reach out to the moderators of communities or people who have leadership roles already because, you know, they've been vetted in a way. They're public figures, and if you meet up with them, um, they are a little bit more guaranteed to be very upstanding. And there are meetings that you can go to where you're not actually engaging in the kink or the fetish. Um, you know, the BDSM community has these things called munches where you just go and you talk about what you're interested in. And you don't have to, you know, dive right into like, oh, my God, like a five-hour rope, you know, bondage <laughs> session. Sure. You can sort of dip a toe in the water um, and see how that goes first. That's a really good point and a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Um, and Jillian, I'm glad you called me out on this earlier and sort of the difference between or a fetish not necessarily being about sex or being sexual in that way. Are there other misconceptions that you want to just like, well, we have all of the Cosmo audience listening, Mm -hmm. other misconceptions you want to clear up? Yeah, I think there are so many misconceptions, it's uh, hard to know where to start. But um, I think one big misconception is that, um, in my mind, there is a meaningful difference between a kink and a fetish. And I want to be clear, all of these terms are in flux. We're still figuring out the language around this, the Mm -hmm. rhetoric around it. So my definition of kink and my definition of fetish will be different than a million other people's definitions of these terms. But I personally... um, try to use language that is as inclusive as possible. So I don't want to, when I, when I say that my fetish is innate, lifelong, and unchosen, um, that reflects my experience and, and the experience of the people in my specific community, but I don't want to exclude people for whom their relationship with kink is not innate, life-chosen, and, and um, innate, uh, lifelong, and unchosen. Um, I don't want to exclude them because there are some people who, you know, never think about these things, but at the age of 45, read Fifty Shades of Grey and feel a bit of curiosity and want to explore. And I want to include those people too. Um, So I tend to say that a fetish is something that is a sexual orientation. It it has all the markers of of a sexual orientation. Whereas a kink is something that can be chosen, it can be discovered, it can be introduced to your life through a partner or through a film or through a great book. So um, I think that sometimes people blur these two experiences together. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, that's great. I think it has been so wonderful talking to you guys, and I think it's time for us to like hop on the phone with some friends. Are you guys yeah. ready to make some calls? Let's do it. All right.
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. This guest is a professional dominatrix who has also hosted numerous fetish parties. Welcome, Encina Severa. Hi, Encina. How are you? I'm doing really good. Really good, actually. Yeah. Where are you calling in from? Um, I'm actually in Pasadena right now, so Pasadena, oh. California. Great. Well, um, we love to have our West Coast friends join us. I don't know. Why am I like talking about the geography? That's so much less interesting than fetish is. It's because it's getting cold outside, and we're all like, longing California. for the West Coast. Exactly. Yeah. We want that sunshine. Oh, yeah. Yes, we do. Um, so, Encina, just to start with, tell us how you got into the world of being a professional dominatrix. Um, long story short, I guess. Uh, so I was introduced by my friend who uh, went to a piercing shop and the piercer wanted to do a really pretty intricate play piercing on me, um, which is actually basically a piercing that you'll do just for fun. It's nothing that's permanent. So you might, you know, pierce your body in a, in a really pretty way or just, just to do it for fun. And then you take it out like an hour later or after a photo shoot or after an event or whatever. Um, so again, it's not permanent. So I went and I had these piercings done, um, and I ended up getting, um, getting to go to the, the place that he worked at had like a 10 year reunion, um, mm. or a 10 year like anniversary for their, uh, tattoo shop. So I went there and they had a bunch of like people walking around taking pictures and stuff. And I had no idea that some of these people were for magazines. So I ended up getting my picture um, taken in a couple of magazines and then photographers started talking to me about um, doing other stuff that way for modeling. And then from there, it kind of, I, a lot of people there were in the fetish scene. So I got to talking to other people who were in the fetish scene and who were, you know, interested in fetishes and stuff. So I kind of came into it that way. <laughs> Wait, I feel like that's like the dominatrix version of the typical like model being discovered at the mall story. <laughs> you were yeah, like at a party and <laughs> people discovered you. That's amazing. So it kind of was. So um I love that story. I've never heard anything like that. Um, tell us then, you know, can you share with us the first time you experienced or witnessed fetish play? Um, the very first time, uh, this is actually kind of a funny story. So I was dating a girl at the time, and uh, me and her ended up going to a play party, which was a private one. So it was held at a friend's house, and they just had like a bunch of people from the fetish community come, and they could basically do whatever they wanted uh, so people were running around naked and stuff um, which wasn't a big deal uh, <laughs> but I walk in and the very first thing that I see because I again I had never really been introduced to fetish type stuff before was um, a man who was straddling a girl on his knees and she was like laying on um, a massage table okay so straddling I'm with girl. you and he like he's leaning over and making out with her and then he gets off and he pulls off her underwear and you can see that they're kind of bloody Mm. and he shoves them in her mouth and I was like okay so maybe she's on her period again I I had no idea I was just trying to kind of roll along with it in my thoughts like context wandering and stuff yeah yeah so like maybe she was on her period or I don't know um so he shoves the underwear in her mouth and like forces her mouth shut and then like grabs her by the neck and 
punches her in the face. Closed fisted punches her in the face. Wow. And I freaked out. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like in obviously, you know, I'm I was very vanilla at the time, so I was not comfortable <laughs> with that. I'm like, oh my God, abuse, what is happening? And my girlfriend had to like take me aside and say, It's okay. It's okay. She wanted it. It's consensual. This is how things go in this community. And she goes, look at them, look at them. And she was like loving it and asking him to punch her again. I was like, Jesus. So that was definitely like a huge culture shock for me. Right. That was your intro. And I can imagine your friend being like, oh, my gosh, you have no chill. You're so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) So after that experience, um, after that, you ended up hosting probably the next day. I'm just going to assume you ended up hosting some of the largest fetish <laughs> parties in Arizona, um, Horns and Halos, Devious Minds. Tell us a little bit about what these parties were like. Yeah. So basically, um, the Horns and Halos events um, were actually ran by the guy that I started dating at that time. Um, and so I started getting involved in helping him to run them or doing performances at the events as well. Um, so they, those were actually ran for like 10 years and they were going fantastically. However, they were very mainstream. So you could look in your local newspaper or, you know, online for events in Arizona and they would show up. So we would get a lot of like college, um, you know, the college scene that would come and just, oh, it's like, so they kind of turned it into a lingerie a uh, fun party instead of an actual fetish party. So right. It was like a sorority party. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we tried to, we'd get up to like 1,200 people wow. at a time. Um, and we'd throw them, uh, you know, once every, uh, or I'm sorry, four times a year. But basically, I mean, our, you know, we'd bring in different performers and stuff from around the world that were like in fetish communities and stuff like that. So people who would do, and I was one of the people who did like the flesh hook suspension. Mm. Um, and uh, we'd have performers who did like liquid latex performances where they'd paint liquid latex on themselves and rip it off, or they'd put paint on themselves and like roll around on canvas and then they'd auction off the canvas, things like that. Mm. Um, so those were, we tried to keep it as fetish related as possible while also having to keep it within the realms of, uh, because we also served liquor, so we, we couldn't have nudity. You However, know, at, uh-huh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, actually, I think this is so interesting because one of the places we started off this podcast talking about fetishes was how it feels like there's still a stigma around them. And in some ways, you're <laughs> describing the opposite, which is that your parties were like too mainstream and you were trying to keep it more. <laughs> you know, I just think I think it's kind of interesting to think about what you were trying to do in the community you were trying to represent and then having, you know, a thousand people there who had read about this on like, yeah, you know, like a. I don't know. Newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we we had people from like all over the world that would come, and it was great. Um, yeah, that's amazing. you know lots of regular performers and stuff. So our performers were always fetish based and stuff, mm-hmm. and it was usually like the crowd that was very like, oh my god, this is my first time. I've never experienced this before. So you know, we we'd hold like little things for them to kind of almost like dip their toes in like a spanking booth and stuff but we'd use like really light floggers and really light paddles and stuff stuff that wouldn't hurt them no matter how hard you hit them with Mm so um we'd use stuff like that just to kind of let them experience it and you know we'd have tons of vendors so they could buy um 
implements or whatever they wanted themselves so they could try the stuff out at home. We had like little tiny, like almost like uh, demonstrations, if you will, um, people showing how to use like bondage rope and the type of bondage rope that's important uh, rather than using like just some really crappy rope that you'd find at like Home Depot. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'd have that. Like And we had that at both of our events, but when we started throwing the Devious Mind events, um, I wanted it to be more uh, like closed-knit. I wanted it to be people who were actually fetish-based, so mm-hmm. it wasn't just a bunch of almost like looky-loos. And right. stuff, you know, I wanted people to be able to get involved and play at the PlayStations and stuff like that. So um, those ones would have audience participation uh, performances and stuff. So when we had, um, you know, the body painted people at Horns and Halos events, we would pass out paint to the audience so they could finger paint on the models. And then the models would do their performance on like canvas and then again auction it off at the end of the event. And so did you feel like, I think that's really interesting that you had a sort of problem you were trying to solve and by making it more interactive, did that sort of... Um, keep out the people that just kind of wanted to be lurkers? Yeah, well, what we actually did was we made the Devious Minds events um, almost like an invite only. So you had to Mm -hmm. be on our emailing list to get an invite or you had to, you know, have a word of mouth to get in and to get like a ticket. So people couldn't just, you know, pass the the area and be like, oh, an event's happening. Let's just go in and check it out and pay for a ticket. Mm -hmm. that, That wasn't gonna happen. Like we didn't allow um, like at the door sales happen. Right. So you can't like, just like find out to... about it on Eventbrite or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you had to buy your ticket in advance and um, dress code was mandatory. So you had to dress in some form of fetish wear while at the Horns and Halos event, you could dress in jeans if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Sina, I think, correct me if I'm wrong about this too but and I do tend to think about the typical clientele for doms being men um, which in some ways like everything else in society I think makes it a little bit easier for men to sort of explore these things Um, Uh do you work with women as well or are there um, you know doms that specifically work with women or you know what is the role of women that are sort of curious about this so what I've found when it comes to women, um, I have worked with women. I have had women clients. Um, however, it's not as, for some reason, it is not as open. A lot of women don't feel the need to go to another woman um, to be dominated by. A lot of women will find masters, though. Mm. We, um, But masters aren't very um, popular to come by when it comes to, like, your local dungeon or anything like that, you know, that you could go to, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not saying there's a dungeon on every corner, but right. <laughs> but a lot of women tend to want to go to a man for the domination part. So if they can, you know, if they're open to it, and again, because it's not as popular, uh, a lot of women don't know about it, but when they find out about it and they're really into it, yeah, I've, I've known plenty of women that have gone to, you know, male masters um, just to be a submissive for a day. And um, before we have to let you go, Encina, is there anything else, like any stigma about fetishes or the community that you want to make sure you're clearing up for people who are listening at home? I definitely think that a big thing for people is just stay open-minded. You know, even if it's not for you, maybe try it out or say, hey, that's not really for me. 
maybe we can find something in the middle. You know, try to work with them, basically. Just try to keep an open mind is the big thing that I can put out there. Totally co-sign on being open-minded, and that's very important to us here at Cosmo, too. Judgment-free zone all the time. Thank you so much, Antina. Yes. It was great to chat with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right, of talk course. to you later. Thank you. Bye. All right. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Please welcome our next guest, a clinical psychologist, certified sex therapist, and familiar voice on the show, Dr. Shannon Chavez. Hi, Dr. Shannon. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So we are talking on this episode of the podcast all about fetishes, have been having a really animated discussion over here, um, and wanted to get your expert input. Um, I think at this point in the show, a lot of our listeners are probably feeling very curious about this. Um, And, you know, I think maybe have been hearing some of the things we're talking about and are curious about exploring that on their own and maybe talking to their partners about it. How would you suggest introducing a fetish into a relationship? Well, I always say that before you want to introduce it into the relationship, you as the individual, you have to feel really comfortable about your fetish, and you have to feel comfortable talking about it and owning it, and I think at that point, you can bring it to a partner and not feel self-conscious or fear that they may shame or judge you in some way, but your positivity and your ability to bring it in and feel good about it is going to help your partner as they think about it because it may be completely new to them they may not have a lot of information they may have a lot of questions so all of that's going to help the conversation go a lot more smoothly and if your partner sort of has a negative reaction to you sort of bringing this up or mentioning it is that a deal breaker or is that something that you think a couple could work through I think a couple can work through that I mean a lot of couples I work with in therapy are working through that so I think A lot of the time there's just misinformation or fears behind that or even a partner that says, what if I'm not really interested in doing this and I want to please my partner, I want to be open and supportive, but it may be something that just doesn't really, you know, I'm not really interested in or it doesn't really do anything for me. So a lot of the times, you know, bringing a fetish into a relationship doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to want to act on it, but it starts the conversation. And I think it's a great thing for couples because then it gives you a path of exploring and trying new things out together, which can be really great for your sex life together. Um, And how do you suggest, one thing we were kind of talking about before we jumped on the phone with you is like how there are so many great resources on the internet and it can be a really great way to find community and talk to other people um, that feel the same way you do. Um, But sort of beyond that, do you have any specifics about how someone can sort of explore a curiosity that they have? I would say definitely, um, you know, even picking up a book or even a video, something that gives you a sense of, you know, we're very voyeuristic when it comes to our sexuality. So something that gives you a sense of, uh, you know, how people are expressing it, how people practice, which can be a little different than community because then you can, you know, find out, you know, what you're really interested in doing and what, you know, what sparks your interest. So fetishes are so vast, you know, you can have a fetish but not really want to act on it. You can have fantasies. So there's so many different parts and pieces that I think, you know, starting to explore starts by just exposing yourself to the fetish itself and, uh, you know, other people that are also, uh, you know, part of the community that practice with that fetish. 
And what are the most common questions you get from your patients regarding I think fetishes? The, most, uh, the common are, you know, where does this come from? Am I the only one? Uh, you know, is, is, can you cure a fetish? You know, even that language, is it, if I don't want the fetish anymore and I find it unhealthy, can I somehow rid myself of the fetish? Those are very common questions. And others are, you know, how to, like you're asking today, how do I bring it into my relationship? You know, I have this interest or this kink, and how do I bring it into my sex life in a safe and secure and consensual way? Um, one of the things that we sort of talk about a lot at Cosmo in terms of being sex positive, and Haley, Jillian, if you guys have thoughts yeah. on this too, feel free to jump in, is you know this sort of idea, like, for instance, a very basic example, a question we hear a lot from readers is from girls who are having trouble orgasming. And so we will say, you know, masturbate, figure out kind of on your own. Um, and certainly I think with some, you know, kinks or fetishes, there's mo- maybe more exploration you can do on your own. But I do wonder about the piece that feel like they're more directly like involving another person like are there ways to sort of like how do you kind of explore that if you're you know we've kind of been talking about this in the context of bringing it into a relationship but if that's not really the scenario for you um any advice there esteemed panelists well (laughs) i i think dr chavez's point about fantasies is really well taken and uh there are so many things you can do in your head before you try them out in real life and that can be a great way to feel out what might feel good and you can talk about your fantasies with your partner you could have this whole conversation where the two of you sort of sexed IRL and you play out a scene just talking about it okay I do this to you then then you react this way you're not doing any of it but you're just talking about it um, and that's a great way to feel out what might feel good and maybe feel out what your boundaries are as well um, I love that you said sexed IRL. I think that's like such a delicious millennial statement. But yeah, again, like what if you don't have a partner? Because in some ways oh, sure. I think the assumption, like if you're in a partner, if you have that safe space to kind of, or hopefully a safe space to yeah. talk about these things with, but if you don't, if you're single AF, there's another great millennial phrase. Single, if you're single AF, yeah. I yeah, mean, any advice yeah. there? Online communities, as we've touched on, sure. can come in um, handy if you're able to connect with people who want to share your fantasies online and you don't even have to meet them in real life to Mm. be able to chat things out um, in a way that feels comfortable to you. So I think that's one resource. What do you think, Jillian? I think that um, everything that you've said about fantasies and videos and books is great. Um, But I I do sympathize with the question because I I can say for sure that with the case of my own fetish, um, I tried for years and years and years to uh, satisfy that myself. I, I tried to spank myself. And I can tell you it's exactly like trying to tickle yourself. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would add that uh, if people are comfortable jumping into some of the fetish communities and making friends, mm. um, it's possible to be single but have really rewarding friendships with play partners that are just friendships. It's like having a racquetball partner. They don't have to be intimate, romantic, or sexual relationships. I but love that you picked racquetball, which is like the the like least sexy thing, <laughs> the most platonic about. activity exactly. of all. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get you off. Um, but that's great feedback. Um, Dr. Shannon, anything else you want um, to add for listeners who are curious about fetishes? Yes, fetishes are common. I think uh, the more you know, if you're a single person, to you know, identify your fetish and to not feel 
like you're the only one. I think the community piece, uh, you know, is so big. You know, there are other people out there that you can connect with that are going to be curious and playful and, and maybe want to, maybe, you know, are possible connections for you to have in your life. So I think uh, you know, the more you can talk about it and open up about it, the less shame, the less isolated you feel, and that could be a really great way not only to boost your confidence but to find, uh, you know, to find a play partner or even a relationship that allows you to you know, be in your identity and to practice and play in your fetish world. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always so great to chat with you. Yes, thank you. It was great being here. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Well, thank you guys both so much for joining us today. I always like to ask people what they learned from today's very special episode of the podcast. Haley, anything you learned or took took away or want to reiterate? Sure. So I loved what Jillian had to say about knowing um, from a very early age that this was um, a, a... she didn't have the word fetish. I don't think you had the word fetish at age five. <laughs> but I knew that I was obsessed. Exactly. You knew that you were obsessed. And I, I think what struck me was your comment about how even young people can sense that there might be a sense of stigma or shame around something and know to keep it quiet. And I think that that is too bad. And that I think um, we are sending messages to people before they're even old enough to really put them to words. And I think we've got to be careful about how we're telling stories around interests and obsessions and fantasies so that when people are growing up, they don't feel totally on the margins. Really well said. Um, Jillian, is there a place you would like to get to? Like, where would be your sort of, you know, we, we know that I think there, and we've said in the episode, like, people sometimes mix up the terms that we use to talk about these things or it's not as acceptable as as we would all like it to be is there a place that you would like to see a sort of level of acceptance that's the wrong way to say it but is there um sort of a future you can imagine over the next few years that this would be more mainstream and acceptable just to take things full circle um to go back to the beginning of the episode when you talked about shame i would like to see a point where um people don't feel ashamed of their sexual identities or asexual identities, or if they have a sexuality that has nothing to do with sex. Um, I would love to see people feel comfortable and confident in their bodies. Um, But I just got, I was uh, texting a little bit with my dominant about this episode. Oh, I love it. And I told him how great our conversation was going, and he asked a few um, questions. And he he uh, said something that I think is rather beautiful that yeah. I'd like to share if I can. Please. Um, recently, he's been outing himself to all of his friends and family as a fetishist. And he said that in every of those conversations, he tells them, I'm not telling you about what I do. I'm telling you about who I am. And I think that's really kind of beautiful because while it's true that in many cases kink can be an activity, it can be like racquetball, um, but for many of us it is the center of our hearts. Um, It's something we are, not necessarily something we do. 
That is really, really well said. And I think that's a good, in some ways, a really good note to end on in this idea, um, yeah, of this really being an identity and a part of who you are. Thank you, friend. Next time we'll have him in (laughs) on the episode, too. That would be a great episode. when you guys all come back. He's English, so he's got a nice radio accent. Oh, (laughs) we love that. We love accents here. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you both so much. And we like to um, close up these episodes by asking people to throw out their Twitter handles if they have more questions or just want to follow you guys or... um, um, I don't know. People are usually tweeting at me saying my voice is annoying, so there's that too. Uh, <laughs> Haley, where is the best place for people to follow you? Great. You can uh, talk about my vocal fry to me. Yes. <laughs> HL MacMillan. So it's H L M A C M I L L E N. And Jillian, where should people follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jillian Keenan, J-I-L-L-I-A-N-K-E-E-N-A-N. And my book, Sex with Shakespeare, is on Amazon and other places where books are sold. Where's the best, best, best place for people to get it? Like Amazon or You Don't Care or like a buy local it cover? <laughs> if it's possible to support local or indie booksellers, that's fantastic. But um, I hope people buy books in any way that they can. In any way. <laughs> okay. So Amazon if you have to. Got it. Um, and thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to another episode of Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour Podcast. If there are things you want to see us talk about, tweet me or whatever, um, as always, at Elisa Benson. And please subscribe and share and like and do all the things you do with podcasts. And we will see you next week. Bye. such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.